0: Okay, another in the blockchain series today, and this one is with Navroop Sadev. She's an economist and technology futurist. Her work includes emerging technologies, economic science, and business strategy. Navroop is the founder and CEO of The Digital Economist. They're an impact organization who are helping to drive technological convergence through investable opportunities in line with the, the UN Sustainable Development Goals. She's co-authored the first book on the economics of blockchain, which is a subject we, we touch on and go into a bit. We also look at um, you know what technology is needed for emerging economies, and we, we discuss some of the non-profit use cases with blockchain. So I hope you enjoy it. Here's my conversation with Navroop Sadev. Hey Navroop, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing?
1: Hi Matt, good. How are you doing today?
0: Yeah, very well, thanks. It's um, yeah, it's been good. Great, it's great to have you on. I've been looking forward to this. So we've had a couple of kind of pre chats. Um, you know, a few things to cover. But I, I thought before we do that, it'd be great just to get a bit of background for our audience. So I, I will have done a little intro. But um, you know, just uh, what you're all about, where you come from, the, the stuff you're doing, just to kind of set the set the tone.
1: Sure. Um, that's cause that's a hard question. Given that I've lived an intense life, I I usually say. (laughs) Um, So born and raised in India. So look, Indian, I guess. Um, uh, Northern part of India, state of Punjab. And uh, I am currently based out of Hawaii, which I'm very blessed uh, to be since over the past one year. And I've lived in eight countries, um, 14 cities at this point. So it's been a lot of fun. Uh, in uh, Asia, Europe, and uh, North America, and I'm an economist by training, um, and by trade. Uh, so over the past fifteen to sixteen years now, I've been teaching, researching, writing all sorts of stuff, um, uh, in in the discipline of economic science, but really applying that to emerging technologies, which is uh, the majority of my work lies. Other than you know painting and drawing and all sorts of hobbies, <laughs> hmm. um. And um, I would say, uh, you know, if, if I were to kind of, um, I guess, talk about myself, which is always hard to do, um, I see myself as a, I think, a student of the world. And it's less of, um, you know, a feeling about owing anything to the profession of economics, but more about how can we make the world a better place, which is, of course, a very general statement being uh, thrown around. I see economics as a as a tool tool set as a toolkit for me um, as are other things, uh, but ultimately I think uh, building uh, a better world, um, not just for humans but for other species and taking care of our planetary home is is really what drives me and all sorts of work around economics or cognitive sciences, understanding our mind as a, as again as a tool, uh, knowing what you're working with. Um, and at the same time you know applications whether it's using technology or really any sort of thing kind of all converges to that
0: you're um you know in in having watched your ted talk and, and other things you talk a lot about kind of human centered um, approaches to things although actually everything you're doing is is in economics you're now very kind of heavily in the blockchain space but yeah it's it's very much i get a sense of this kind of human centered element to, to what you're, you know, what you're trying to kind of promote out there with technology, correct?
1: Absolutely. I think uh, I've been in the space long enough to ask the question, what are we looking to build? What is the ultimate outcome or set of outcomes that we're looking to serve? So that's where the larger, perhaps life goal, not agenda, comes into play, which is to build a human centered world. That doesn't mean it's sort of a more of a hierarchical understanding of the world, which is that we, you know, uh, modify and make everything work for just one species. But the fact that um, ultimately, you know, human outcomes and planetary outcomes, again, sustainability and, um, and, and planetary, um, you know, a well-being is the, the first and the very most, um, perhaps the most important aspect of it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's really the, the why, the purpose, uh, the ultimate goal is what drives me. Because if you think about it, we live in a, such an interconnected world. You can't just afford to, you know, just look at one side or one angle or one profession or one technology if there's anything that I've learned, it is the, the intersectionality and uh, the interdisciplinary various things that we create uh, innovation in general.
0: Yeah, I think, um, you know, we're going to talk about blockchain. I mean, maybe this is a good segue. and You know, it represents a very, um, you know, interconnected system. Ultimately, it's about, um, you know, decentralizing, but it's also about, connecting at the same time because it's about many people in a decentralized manner. Um, you know, would you, can you just touch a little bit on, you know, block? you've co-written a book around blockchain. You're, you're all about blockchain economics for our audience. Can you just give a, you know, what you, how you would define blockchain economics, what it is?
1: Sure. So, you know, uh, I entered the space in 2016, uh, just a little little background and um I often talk about how at the time they really were just computer scientists and some consultants and event organizers (laughs) in the room. And no one was really talking about sort of the larger economic or macroeconomy or global economy implications. Those are all different things. Uh, And I'll get that into that in a a bit. Um, And, you know, if you look at the space uh, away from how do I make some quick money, And if you really focus on the technology, right, then ICOs or NFTs, and again, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, The digital asset space um, has blown up over the past years and will continue to, there's no doubt about it. Um, But if you really look at the technology itself, um, if this becomes, again, if this becomes uh, a core infrastructure technology, something I've been talking about over the past five years, um, then that has really important implications for how some of our economic systems are designed. And that's non-trivial and that's exciting for me. Yep. And, you know, there are always ways to dilute things. For example, you may still have a similar set of incentives, even if the underlying system changes, but, um, and, you know, notwithstanding that, but sort of in a slightly more pure sense of like a decentralized world, uh, I've often been talking about how, um, you know, over the, over the past years, um, a lot of the predictions, if you may, that we've been, you know, kind of in the early days, if you may, of blockchain and ICO bubble, if you may, in 2016, are, are really continuing to unfold. Uh, just yesterday, I was giving a talk to Duke University's Business School. And, you know, uh, Matt, I picked up my, <laughs> I picked up a presentation I first gave uh, as a you keynote in 2017, and I, and I redid it. Um, and, I, and I was just reflecting on kind of how far we've come and yeah. where where things stand. And I would say this, when it comes to the economics of um, you know, these technologies and the convergence of technologies, which is kind of even more exciting. Um, We are yet to see um, kind of the more macro level, um, you know, implications of this. Um, It's still, again, very early days. There's increasing interest. So a lot of those um, things around how the underlying uh, technology Uh, whether if systems are decentralized, I should say, um, how that would uh, ensure better systemic outcomes uh, kind of remains to be seen. In fact, from what we're seeing right now is almost like a second kind of ICO bubble situation (laughs) uh, with uh, with NFTs, if you really sort Mm -hmm. of start to parse it. So there's good stuff when it comes to uh, raising capital, which is the number one problem for, you know, high tech, very kind of, you know, innovative innovation for the lack of a better term. Um, but from an economist's point of view, um, you know, the you can pick up this book on, on blockchain economics, which was published in January 2019. Um, and uh, I think we're yet to see more of that. I, I mean, I'm happy to kind of dive deeper into what that is, but I just wanted to kind of separate it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it I mean, it's very. you're right. I mean, it's very interesting. We, we're we definitely, we're at an interesting intersection now, it seems to me, like this year particularly. And, you know, you're talking about, I think it was around, I, I don't know if it was around 2016, but where there was also this kind of year of excitement, but it, it felt more Absolutely. like... It felt That's more like buzz then, right? I don't know. It everyone was getting excited, but this time it feels like I, I think maybe, and correct me if I, right, for me it feels like there's a little bit more institutional effort now, not just in terms of the investment happening in in the crypto space, but the in you know the implementation of systems as well. I mean, for me one of the big problem solvers of this technology is you know getting to people who are not linked to the traditional banking system, which I think is, you know, nearing 2 billion people. And there are some great solutions out there to get um, capitals to these people to help support, you know, emerging economies, SMEs, all of this stuff, which is the exciting stuff, because you're creating liquidity and job opportunities and everything else. But when you look at what's happening now, it is, and there is still this sense, though, you've got the traditional banking system that is here, you've then got this kind of renegade process that's happening and. In 2016, that was very separate. Now it feels like there is crossing over, there is acceptance. Are you, do you think we're at a point where now, you know, there is more acceptance of this, this technology, not just blockchain, I'm talking, you know, other other ways of doing this, but there is, we're on a kind of path forward now where there will be, you know, kind of more mass adoption of these types of technologies to kind of solve problems.
1: I would agree with that. I think if enough people are looking at something for long enough, and if it's a you know big enough group and smart people, then you know you can reasonably expect that um, something would come out of it, right? A few mm. years down the line, and and that's something I learned actually from Alex Spendler at MIT, um, where we also are looking very closely at blockchain since a number of years. Um, and we have all sorts of initiatives. Um, but but you're, you're, you're right. I think particularly with the institutional money and attention, I mean, all major um, consulting firms and banks are sort of looking at it right now, right? In fact, a few mm. years in, whether it's um, actually even central banks, I think last time I checked, it was over 70 central banks around the world. So, you know, there's no doubt about the fact that the technology has um, amazing uh, features and functionalities and uh, you know and 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 potentiality to transform our systems um, but uh, exactly how we're going to be using this uh, is up to us and and, and mm. I think what you're doing is is remarkable and it's not just it's not just you know that particular use case right mm. uh, it's also so much more um, you know over and beyond you um, I think digital has, as not just crypto, right, but the larger sort of digital uh, technologies domain has so much to um, to to offer, and as 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 a, again as a as a toolkit um, to reaching global populations, uh, kind of in real time and simultaneously, right. So we, we really are at a remarkable time in history. Um, I think I just kind of move with caution and and some of this because. Um, I think basically the ICO kind of bubble made, uh, or I should say, <laughs> made a few people very rich It brought uh, a lot of money, uh, to few organizations. Right.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and, and the rest is kind of noise, uh, whether or not money was, uh, channeled there. And so now what we're looking at is, um, is also kind of in the non-regulated space, sort of similar dynamics, but you're right in, in the more regulated space, um, kind of slow, slowly and slower sort of pilots and implementations are are around, right? And, um, and then again, I think, um, I'm, I'm assuming you're mentioning or referring more specifically to public markets, which is, for example, if you're buying um, some sort of index fund from Fidelity or, you know, another um, financial institution, um, then you're also kind of getting exposure to crypto. Yeah. So Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. So that's, in that sense, there's institutional interest. Um, I think um, as somebody who's kind of close to the real economy, um, to the real issues, I guess, <laughs> that concern humankind, um, I think, um, the the success of the initiatives like yours of uh, central banks and you know cyber crime and all those other kind of like issues and and domains where kind of the the real challenges are or you know security again billions of dollars are lost to the global mm-hmm. economy every year um I think using uh, cryptographically secure ledgers there is is uh, is a much bigger you know um achievement than just you know getting kind of higher uh I guess uh, payoffs and uh, through through buying sort of exposure in the crypto markets that's how the institutions are currently doing.
0: Yeah I I think well I mean part of what I was referring to we we in you know, our business we run on Stellar's um blockchain we we use their blockchain I just you know over the last years I, I was reading Franklin Templeton has started using Stellar for certain investments. I don't know the details of it, but there just seems more credibility. I think we just need things like you know Dogecoin to kind of go away and stuff like that, which you know, the, right. the whole kind of Dogecoin phenomenon reminds us. Yeah. And tweets you're
1: like, oh my God.
0: <laughs> I do not, I honestly do not get it because you know, let's face it, Elon Musk is, you know, one of these kind of voices of innovation of where we're heading. And then he's out there. I'm thinking he does that, and you go and look at there's there's you know a hundred other more well uh, there's a 100 use cases with other platforms that are just way more worth mentioning but anyway it is what it is so
1: yeah i mean i think it's all kind of a tongue-in-cheek sort of situation that's not lost on me but uh i think there are enough problems to solve on this planet than go to mars so i have a lot to True. say on that but that would be uh, well
0: we won't get into that because that will but, but we'll talk about that offline then that would be an interesting interesting uh conversation right. um I want, to, I want to ask a question, putting myself in the shoes of, you know, the, the main bulk of people who listen to our podcast and some of our clients a, as well and thinking, you know, how they look at uh, this space and, and blockchain, the technology, and then they look at the work they do. I mean, if you look at, you know, well, let me just ask a question. How can a distrib- how can distributed technology, you know, solve issues like poverty and inequality? Um, and there are many other issues. I just picked those. But you know how what what are, and we can go into use cases, but just as a broad question, you know because I know someone running a nonprofit who's dealing with everyday issues will be asking themselves that question, how can this type of technology help to solve those problems?
1: Yeah, so the short answer to that is by removing, these, right? And the long answer is currently the way our systems our economic systems work is you need to connect to the platform. that is always appropriating value, right. So in this case, this could be Western Union. This could be, in, in terms of remittances, as an example, um, this could be PayPal, any, anything really. Um, and, and and same goes for, say, social media, right? You're basically writing off um, all claims to your IP the second you upload a picture or anything on Facebook. And yeah. then you're also giving away a lot of data. And And data, you know, and that's really something you to really understand um, it's both the input, like the fuel that powers the digital economy, but it's also the exhaust, right, for the lack of a better term. And so all kinds of issues around having enough data to make informed decisions, like like these platforms need data in order to help you do something. But then the question is, how are they handling what comes out of it? And it's been pathetic to say, you know, the least over the past years. And only now we are starting to see um, some, um, you know, some regulatory uh, requirements around handling of data, privacy of users, so on and so forth, but it's far from adequate. And so, you know, uh, a number of solutions that have emerged perhaps in hundreds over the past years, including the Brave browser, which I'm not wrong, they did the largest ICO right and no,
0: 2018 just, just repeat that sorry you just cut out slightly then what was that? Oh
1: um, yeah the Brave browser. The Brave um,
0: browser thanks.
1: Yep a sort of privacy preserving um, slightly better form of Google Chrome allegedly um, and you know it, it, that's kind of the important thing to to understand so if you have ownership of your data um, you're headed in the right direction right And and then mm. of course there are uh, initiatives that kind of go a step farther around monetizing your own data. I think when the rubber hits the road, we haven't seen a lot there. Like, I'm struggling to think about like one initiative that, or even like a single initiative that uh, does that in a way that's meaningful, right? I'm not talking about sense, uh, but in, in a way that. Um, offers um, some some value to the, the people who are generating this content or, or data. Mm. Um, that said, I think some of the social media platforms um, are obviously offering monetization. Uh, and I realized that as I use the word content instead of data, because those are separate things, right? Yeah. Um, of course, YouTube and Instagram and, and more Clubhouse sort of come to mind. And so there, there, there is a, a great degree of promise in the technology, and and uh, push towards, you know, understanding that that's kind of where value lies. At MIT, there's a new book coming out on data being new capital, so that's really spot on because um, moving forward, the digital economy is going to be much bigger than the real economy as well. And that's also kind of the inspiration for the digital economists and they of the organization that, um, and building and running. Um, and so we're gonna see a, a lot more action again, not just blockchain. I mean, there are even more mature technologies, right? Like artificial intelligence or machine learning, I should say. Uh, <laughs> um, and, you know, connected devices or IoT and, and, and so on and so forth. So um, I think to answer your question, Um, How can the tech improve lives of those is, first of all, who's building the tech? Um, Second, are there right incentives in place? Third, um, the little bit of a wait and watch approach is um, usually considered prudent by economists because Mm -hmm. the the early adopters, um, while there's opportunity for great gains, they also take greater risks. Um, and uh, you would see that from a regulatory perspective, a lot of regulations actually um, designed to protect um, some of the um, less sophisticated um, investors uh, and so on and so forth. So, um, I think, I mean, I'm happy to kind of go deeper in sort of the nonprofit space. If that's kind of ready for crypto, you know, I, I kind of got a sense that that's probably what you're kind of getting to, Matt, as well. Yeah, I mean, um, but it's
0: a, it's an interesting question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a wide question. I mean, it is, I just know, I ask it because, you know, I look at, there's so many different ways to, to apply this. I mean, for, for us, you know, we've got Blackboard is a, is a client of ours, oh, sorry, a partner of ours. Blackboard are the, you know, they're a the biggest kind of uh, provider of applications in the nonprofit space. And they've got about 30 plus thousand nonprofits around the world. But, you know, this type of technology is new to them i mean their customers are using donor management platforms to track you know donations volunteers other activities and you know we're now looking at them in a kind of workshop style of but, you know where can this tech be used but there are a lot of questions around things like transparency some of their bigger nonprofits are getting pressure from donor communities to say hey how's our money used where's it going you know can we really have proof of how it's being um you know the, of the impact it's being- cr- created, can we report on that against things like the the UN SDGs? so yeah it's it's that there's so much in there I know that's why I ask it just to see if you've seen i suppose any insights any absolutely particularly yeah. use cases
1: and and I think uh i mean that has the accountability aspect has to be part of every business, no matter what you know, no matter mm-hmm. what suite of technologies you're using, and those are absolutely the the right questions because I think the ability to respond to those um would also define and perhaps even unleash uh, open up doors to a lot more capital right for nonprofits. Um the donor community is usually complaining about whether, you know, not knowing how the money is helping, right? And and we do know again, um Obviously, there have been scandals over the past. Uh, I know the most recent one was like with Oxfam and things like that. (laughs) Um, It really makes everybody nervous, right? Those who who are um, keen to um, help with with their capital, with their money, with their wealth, um, need those those responses from an accountability perspective, right? Like publicly traded companies have uh, quarterly reporting requirements. So I think that's actually a step in the right direction, um, and I think the nonprofit world should should embrace that. And and if blockchain technology is um, is a facilitator along the way, uh, I think there's every reason to uh, to deploy that. right?
0: Yeah, it's. I think yeah. When it gets really interesting, I think it's where you you know where you get into the impact investment space as well, because you know then your investor you know is specifically looking at a financial return, but also Needing to quantify either the social or the environmental return, you know what impact has been created, and some donors are savvy to that, but all impact investors are savvy to that. I mean, it's their metrics for, you know, understanding what happened. So I, I, I don't see enough happening there. We're kind of having conversations, but I do feel it's a very exciting space in terms of, you know, measured measurement of proper returns, not just financial returns, but being able to properly measure. Um, you know the social return on investment and there are many platforms out there that's not necessarily what we do there's, there's a lot of tech out there for for looking at that but it's it's an exciting space so
1: for sure. yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that and I think um, again the this would actually unleash the the impact investing space right for again mm. for a lot of donors, traditionally this has been uh, a way to show loss if you see what I'm saying so they can, they can hedge some of their profits and pay lower taxes (laughs) Um, or we're sharing here. But um, this is uh, this is the truth for a lot of, um, you know, traditional impact investing. And if we can show how tangibly those investments are bringing not just financial returns, but, you know, uplifting communities um, I think again, I mean, every investment should be an uh, impact investment, you know. Like this is 2021, sure. right? <laughs> uh, come on.
0: <laughs> well, I think we're moving that direction. Actually, interestingly, I, you know, I, it's, I, I was speaking to a um, someone in the sustainability space in the UK a few months ago now, and one of their clients is an investment firm in London, and now their risk, how they look at risk profile. Sorry, one of their clients is a lawyer, corporate lawyer, but how they. Um, they manage their risk profile with their clients is the the kind of highest indicator of risk is someone that is not looking at, um, you know, things like, well, their impact on people and planet. Right. So I I do think we're getting to that stage where you just won't be able to survive as a business in the future, unless, you know, this is top of the priority list. Of course, a business has to make money, uh, but the impact of how that money's made and the effect it has on the environment on people is now becoming thankfully, you know, a top indicator of the, how that performance of that business is measured. You know, is that something you, I mean, I we all hope that that is kind of there. You, do you think we're kind of getting to that stage where businesses are judged in that manner?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, actually uh, even more, uh, even more, I think more immediate given COVID-19 mm. uh, is really the um, the alignment with purpose. So suddenly Mm. you find these dinosaur organizations uh, (laughs) uh, who are looking for their purpose and all the messaging that's coming out, is like, oh, our purpose is this and our purpose is that. Um, But you're absolutely right. I think there has been a lot of, um, I think greenwashing isn't that the term? I started my career at the UN Environment Program in 2014 and they were using that term then. Um, Not not UNEP in specific, but you know, I learned it in that context during that time. and because of that, I think a lot of damage was done, right, to to kind of the um, the, the, the pace of uh, progress in, in the impact space and environmental ESG space. So suddenly it's just like there's no consensus, you know. And it's just way too much going on, and everybody's claiming to be, you know, doing impact-related work. But what does that really mean, right? There's there's no... There's no metrics uh, people have agreed upon and, and that sort of stuff. But you're, you're absolutely right, I think, that if, if not, or at least my approach is roll up your sleeves and build the world you want to see, right? And yeah. so we're a few steps ahead of um, even you know bodies like uh, the World Economic Forum and others. Uh, you know, Klaus Schwab's new book just came out on uh, stakeholder capitalism. And we wrote a piece, uh, Matt, which I'm keen to share with you beyond stakeholder capitalism because it's still a lot of jargon um that's coming from you know the members of uh, of the forum and i think uh we just need to be bolder and we've seen a, a massive human tragedy it's still unfolding you know india is in uh some deep shit <laughs> yeah, right now with the,
0: reading that yeah. this morning actually so yeah it's um yeah, yeah sorry go on
1: no, that's all. I mean, I think that really should be a wake-up call, right, um, and the most immediate crisis, climate crisis, um, beyond the, the other crises as well, right? We wrote this Forbes piece last year around this time um, on the quadruple crisis, so the, the economic, social, um, environmental, and, 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 you know, um, of course, the health crisis. Uh, but, you know, my hope is that kind of in the post-pandemic world, um, this sharpens our uh, focus on what really matters, uh, which is, you know, to 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 build um, an inclusive uh, planet. And again, I could talk about <laughs> kind of the inequality at length, and that's really kind of worrisome. Um, and that sort of relative transfer is, is also just out of the way right now. So, you know you're absolutely right business the only reason you should be in business is because you're good. the best should be in jail i mean i don't got it you know <laughs> how do we get here
0: yeah exactly i think i mean i i had a question i think you kind of answered it really but you know is there a is there somewhat of a silver lining to this you know challenging which is it's pretty much 18 months now not quite but um you know and it, the economic destruction i, I think is you know, actually now far overshadows the the destruction of just the health destruction of what's happened, because it's going to go on for a lot longer. But yeah, you kind of answer, I think, you know, hopefully there is a silver lining in terms of how we come out of this, you know, how we look at um, the the way we act as, as businesses, you know, the purpose, the purpose thing was always there at an individual level, but businesses are now looking at it much more at a holistic level, how, you know, what their purpose is, how they operate within the kind of ecosystems of the world, but yeah, I think you probably answered it, but feel free to add more. To yeah. That, I you. mean,
1: yeah, I can add more. I mean, I, I know kind of the term silver lining is, is traditionally sort of tossed around. I, I, I just feel it's not enough, you know, mm. of course there's a lot of silver linings more than one, right. Coming out of the crisis, but that's not going to be enough to undo a lot of the inequalities that have um have increased over the past, you know, five to seven decades, kind of the um, post-World War II gains we've made uh, in sort of uplifting uh, entire populations out of poverty um, are sort of being reversed. So you see less of sort of, you know, starving people situation, although it's absolutely happening with war and what have you. Um, But I think... um, Kind of access to resources, and and it's worrisome for me when I think about digital resources as well. Because money is an invention of humans, you know. Um, the U.S. government just uh, injected trillions of dollars in the economy. But think about it this way: if um, if we have hundred dollars and a piece of land, and now a million dollars and a piece of land, who's going to lose? Right? Uh, yeah. The 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 total amount of land is the same. So there are planetary upper boundaries and that is that water on the planet is not going to suddenly increase just because a few more trillion dollars, right? So those who have accumulated or continue to accumulate wealth are going to win increasingly. And the others are by default lose out. And, you know, that's kind of what I, you know, (laughs) obsess on, on, um, on a day-to-day basis, and everything that we're doing and building, and you know, it's a little woo for for kind of more business as usual folks. Although it's changing now, uh, but really, ultimately, those are the big issues we need to solve, which is you know, human well-being, human human life. Uh, uh, that um, that's uh, you know, that's important. I mean, once you study enough uh, history of economic thought, it really kind of puts things in perspective you know, what the current variety of capitalism, if you you may, it's a book called Varieties of Capitalism, I read while I was in school. Um, You realize this is a human invention, right? And so that also means that we can do better. Uh, And that's my responsibility or a sense of responsibility that I feel as an economist, because these are very specific decisions, policies, uh, direction, ideology, mindset, worldview—that goes into defining and steering these—and it's not a given. You know, it just doesn't happen to be that way, or not. It's not like natural order of things. So, you know, all of all of our work is is uh is focused on uh, building better.
0: Cool. Well, I think you know, if we have more of people like Univroot, we can solve these problems. So, yeah, it's it's we just need a. We need a big group I hope er- to inspire effort, them, so. man.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> so. hey, look, um, we've I'm you know, this is the first podcast. I sense we'll probably do more because I think we can really dive down actually into some of these topics and pick one and, and go for 30, 40, 50 minutes. So um, yeah, I hope we get a, a chance to kind of follow up on, on some stuff and and, uh, you know, and kind of dig into to. specific topics. Before we knock off, it'd be great if people want to find out more about you, the work you do, get in touch, connect. Where's the best place to, to find you online?
1: Oh, I guess I have all of the platforms. Um, LinkedIn is good, because then I know who you are. Uh, <laughs> or uh, you can just send me an email at navroop at mit.edu or navroop at digitaleconomist.com. Uh, and uh, yeah, feel free to reach out. We're always looking to collaborate uh, with uh, with folks who who are doing world-changing things or are looking to do world-changing things. And, and Matt, thank you very much for inviting me today.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. And look, for anyone listening, I will leave those details in, in the podcast notes, but I'll also get details of the books that you mentioned, Avarib, as well, because there were some good kind of um, book references there uh, through the discussion. So we'll, we'll get those afterwards and I'll put them in the notes. Sounds good. Great. Have look. Thanks again, and and have a have a lovely afternoon in Hawaii. And we look for, I look forward to speaking next time.
1: Thank you very much, Matt. I'm looking forward as well. Thanks, everyone.
0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Task Podcast, and hope you found it interesting. If you'd like to get in touch and have a chat with myself, Matt, or one of the team then we are at hello at task.io and we'd love to speak to you. Cheers.